Welcome to What Have You, featuring Rachel Jankovic and Rebecca Merkel. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Welcome back to What Have You. I'm Rachel Jankovic. I'm Becca Merkel. And I think the thing we knew we needed to say today was this needs to be an episode of at least kicking off with our retractions. Oh, I forgot. It's the big climb down from the trees. Yeah. I'll go I'll go first. But first first we should say it is a kind of a reunion tour in that we are back in our old place behind mm-hmm. the Goodwill. Yeah, we are. It's beginning to get dark. Perhaps cops will come. But it's getting dark later in the day than it used mm-hmm. to. We've had it's tons only of 5 So I first of all, you all know if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time that I frequently say to let your ideas die with yeah, dignity. Exactly. That if you have an idea, act on it so you can find out if it was good, if it or, was bad. good or bad. Otherwise yeah. you'll spend your whole life thinking you had mm-hmm. a good idea that mm-hmm. you never tested. And and so I feel like I have to confess here that I've my, got two. I have to remember the second one, but I know the first one. Okay. So you go first. My first big comment is that I let my composting worms die in indignity. <laughs> <laughs> and and they died and I didn't know what to do about it and I never saved them from what was gonna happen but to them. Even their poor little bodies probably added to the fertility of your soil. Yeah, Rachel. but their poor little bodies what their poor little bodies got baked into a briquette because <laughs> because they because it was Okay guys, you know that we live in a place where it's windy. Well when yeah. we reached the point with the composting goods it was all in the back porch, and we reached a point where I was done seeing it there. And there were some questions about it, but it was no longer something mm-hmm. I wanted in the house. And I feel like some of the questions involved, it wasn't fruit flies in it. It was like, I'm trying to remember the details. Other it was something that made me Google other life in yeah. the, oh, it was yeah. some kind of mites. Little oh, spider no. mites on a red pepper that kicked that off. The red pepper oh, appeared no. to be what another little pest wanted to get at that got okay. in there. Sure. So then I felt like, okay, it has to be outside now because okay, sure. we can't be brewing that pun can't army of mites spider in the mites. house. No. And I think of it meant something that I was doing wrong. Like there was some way I needed to bring back the balance in the worm tank. And I and I think I tried. I think I was working on it, but I had to put it outside. Well, because it's so windy where we are, I struggled to find a good place to put it, and I ended up putting it like wedged between our <laughs> our house and the stairs, like a place where it could not blow away. Where I was like, "This will be safe," but what it did was like radiated into a incredible. <laughs> incredible heat when that because when the summer was happening that that was all I probably needed to move them to a gentler climb than that spot and so they were on the what am I western side of our house so the late that late summer like the afternoon bake-off was happening on that side of the house and and in that time 
I, I don't know what I was supposed to do. I don't know how you save... Water it? Well, that doesn't that seem weird to go water your worms? <laughs> no? Not if they're well, in a little but it kind of shallow pan. It was clear that I didn't understand what was happening because <laughs> I couldn't tell, like, what are you supposed to do? Put more garbage in there or then it will not be... I mean, it just... But the real end came at the time when I forgot entirely about it for a little stretch of yeah. time and just cooked them dry into a into <laughs> a horrible. solid briquette of oh. cast off kitchen goods, oh, dear. dirt, some paper towels, and well, dead worms. The thought so, of where the worm does not die, and you're like, "Well, well, that's not our house. Did die. And the worms die here." And I, uh, <laughs> I did give the container away to someone who will be more responsible with okay. the worm life, sure. which is Aunt sure. Meredith. <laughs> she will. She'll do better. She'll do better than me. But I felt well, like I got my, I got the knowledge out yeah. of that that I needed, and so of, I, okay, I don't resent it. One of my retractions. I have two. Okay. One of mine is also to do with refuse. Um, oh, that's right. I said that I had ordered, or I was about to order the janitor grade, janitorial grade garbage bags. Uh, he found out. Well, and, and I gave an initial report, I think, that it seemed good. Mm. Well, basically every day as Judas taking the garbage out, <laughs> he curses the bags that split, <laughs> that tear, that run. And uh. I'm like, we have 600,000 left, so... And we'll just get through those. Let me recommend you start doubling them. Well, we have to all the time. No, I mean, well, double initially. them initially. We anticipate. Might need to do that. anticipate. That'll get us through them more quickly. But whatever it is, guys, the thing I ordered. But see, I never like said what exactly it was. It's just good to let everyone I think know, though, that we, we know we make yeah. hefty bags, I think, are better than what I ordered from the janitorial supply. Okay. It's good to know. The other, the second possibly more spiritually relevant retraction <laughs> is that the non-worm everyone and their friend <laughs> messaged me or Rachel with an all caps tell Becca right now <laughs> that <laughs> the the hot tip that wives have no sexual responsibilities to husbands <laughs> is apparently a thing. <laughs> well, that really made me laugh. The messages that I got that were like, you are correct. Vega is right. And I felt like not yeah. only this, yeah. a lot of people feel it very but a lot of people were like, no, I'm a member of a 600-person Facebook group who universally devote themselves to this message. And they're like Christian wives yeah. club. And Basically, what they say is a husband who wants to have sex with his wife is probably be, being abusive. Pro it probably is, for sure. Like, call the cops. I it's, thought somebody... Basically, it's like celibacy in marriage appears to be a Christian problem. Yeah. And somebody sent me a, a great... This is a little apropos of nothing, but I didn't read the whole post. I just saw the... It was like somebody sent me someone else's Instagram mm -hmm. post. And their the main image said, I'm not saying that purity culture universally makes men pedophiles. Oh, I was my like, gosh. What? Oh, my word. Like, that, but the reason I say that is I actually do think those things are connected in the world where people are just, like, bizarrely 
mouthing off about stuff that has no, you know, like where everyone's getting really sloppy and it's getting really. There's a lot of slop. But the reason I said that is because somebody, one of these messages saying that I was right and Becca was wrong. Fine, uh, fine, guys. I have a higher of, view of human nature. One of these messages was saying in a Christian, reformed, mostly wives and mothers group. The overwhelming new counsel to new bride, like like counsel from women to n- girls who are about to get married or just got married, is basically do not under any circumstances feel pressured to have sex. Here's my question: If are you ready? Oh. If your husband pressures you in any way, that that's abusive. That this is abusive, and this is this is my point: is that of course we can all paint a scene in our imaginations where. That could be abusive. Like, where there could be a truly see, abusive situation. if you're an abusive man who snookered a nice girl into marrying you, like, is that what we're saying most weddings are? Yeah, like, be careful that you didn't marry someone who... And, actually, that reminds me do of an episode... Do be careful. But do be careful before the actual ceremony. No, I think it's a... That's a version of, uh, be careful to... Uh, you know the episode ages ago where we um, talked about my child who cut a hole in a sweatshirt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that that yeah. a lot of women do that kind of thing, just being provocative. Yeah, I think that there is a de- this is a weird desire in Christian women to provoke Christian men to the point where they be bad. Maybe. And then you assume the moral... Just to the, see if they Then will. you rise upon your moral authority and judge him for the rest of the I'm marriage. I'm sorry, guys. I had a higher opinion of us than this. I don't believe it. It I, turns out I was wrong. I actually ended up... I thought it was very funny because I don't know where I got the sense that this was happening. And it's I probably because you pay attention to those terrible women's ministry blogs, and I don't. Becca, I don't know of any of those blogs. Yes, I, you do. No. Yeah. I, I think I am like... You're, you, you've got one foot in there more than I do. Well, I've seen more of that apparently than you have. Well, here's the thing. I know. See, I, of course, was willing to grant you've got your one-off weird problems, but you were making this be systemic. And I was like, no, can't be systemic. I think no, it is. It turns out we have a lot of testimonies, guys. It's systemic. Yeah. But my question is, in the Christian church then... Is marriage simply about being able to jointly file your taxes? Is that what we're celebrating at the reception? What is it about, guys? I'll tell you what I think that people think that they're celebrating. As I think that it's way hugely sentimental. And that there is... Yeah, but sentimental about joint tax filing? Yeah, but I think that... No, I think it's sentimental about... I think it is sentimental about someone honoring you for the... For the Treasure princess that you, are. you are. And that any idea. Like this is a thing. This is a real thing. Because it's been on my mind in a lot of different ways. But but this is a thing. If it would make you angry. Like I. The reason that I don't think at a wedding. you Like I think a prenup is a sad thing. Because it just. It Assumes pre-assumes the, failure the in. Yeah, yeah like. It's like going into marriage with a prenup is sad because it assumes yeah. so much that, that you don't is, really mean it anyway. It's like this marriage is a disposable solo cup. 
Yeah, so, and so let's make sure that yeah. we can get back out of this with as little yeah. pain and exactly. agony as we're getting into it, apparently. So, yeah, we're going to write disposable so I think that's a sad on thing. the package. So I'm bringing this up because in no way do I think, I think that this would be equally sad, except for apparently more needed, which is to go ahead and loop into the vows things like, I'm expecting you to do the dishes in our house when it needs to oh be done. Gosh. Do you know what I mean? And 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 let me put a disclaimer there. I'm saying it's sad because I'm saying that you cannot assume that a Christian woman is going into marriage with the intention of doing her duty and serving. No. And that's the thing that's so sad because that should be assumed. Mm-hmm. Just as it should be assumed no, there's a lot that a husband in... would very sacrificially want to help and love his wife no. through things. But it's but going that... in assume that what I'm going to do is follow my dreams and you're going to support me you're every support step me. of the way. And that there's nothing in this marriage contract that means I will be a keeper at home. No, you know what Right? It like, it, nothing here thing. means you know, that I'll do your laundry pleasantly. You know how... Okay, so I'm sure you've said this, but one of the times one of our children probably clocked another child upside the head. I don't know. But this, the topic of the golden rule came up. Mm, yeah. And we're like, let's talk about the golden rule. What does it mean? And whoever the child was, I don't remember, said, do unto others whatever they do unto you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, it's a slight modification, but it makes all the, the difference, difference in the world. Our kids invented it. if a- you went into this marriage saying, I promise that you will love and honor and cherish <laughs> yes. me. Well, but that's exactly it. And because everybody has taken all of the actual weight out of mm-hmm. what scripture says, what this couple is actually no. vowing to do for each other, yeah. you can get away with like making up your own vows no. that amount to saying you make me feel special. Like no, you I make vow me, and promise. I vow that keep, you will make me I, I swear for eternity that as long as you do whatever I want, I will stay with you. You know? No, it's so bad. It's not good. But my, my point is, a prenup is one kind of failure. This, I, I am saying this would be another kind of failure. But what it's, what it's failing is that there are grown Christian women getting married whose mothers and communities did not impress them no. with the importance of obedience and doing your duty and i'm just but they clear, don't even know what their role to god, is obedience to god yeah. submission to god's word which would make you realize that in the christian economy of what a home is that a woman bears a lot of obligation and responsibility and in turn so does the man and that we're you're celebrating the making of a completely new economy yeah. at a wedding and it's not just the sexual relationship it's two people entering willingly well, into roles but without the sexual relationship that is sealed yeah. by that selfless love of the sexual relationship but here's the thing what is a marriage is two distinct parts one is the vows that were taken publicly before God and these witnesses till death to his part. And the other is the sexual relationship. Yes. Without one of those two, you don't actually have a marriage. Either one of those things can be by themselves and they are not a marriage. Right. If you're hooking up with some girl every other week, you're not married to her. Yes. If you promise to live with her as a roommate till forever, but you were never going to sleep with her. That's also not a marriage. It, yeah. it, it just isn't. 
those are like the two kind of sine qua nons. All, and if you, know, you compare it to the church, then you would say that the important things like so on the one hand you have the the preaching of the word you have the the word the declaration of the word and things like statements of faith etc etc but then we have the lord's supper we have communion we have an important like and and sex in a marriage is like the communion aspect of that household while there's all these other things the vows living like you mean right. those although you don't want to get too weird no and i'm not trying drawing. to make any just she's not making any theological references with that it's no, just that I'm talking metaphor, about the fact as a yeah. metaphor my point is that there are different elements there's actual and and that is just it an is consummation it is it is literally imp- consummation of the vows yes and so you can't and you can't act like that was only ever supposed to be one time. And then after that, we're completely separate from the fact that this was vows. This is a relationship that's meant to be carried on for the rest of your, you know, like this is, this is a new way of life. But this is a new thing. It's literally productive because that sexual union is how you like grow the family. Like, your family, your name, your legacy, the heritage, all of this stuff. Yeah. Like two people living as roommates, isn't that, it just isn't. No, two people sharing the grocery bill and evenly splitting the chores and otherwise not, not giving themselves freely to one another will, will, it's nothing. It's a total dead end. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, what's so sad about it is that, that the whole headship and submission relationship you know the whole the thing that is so controversial in christian circles even you know it's so explosive and controversial in places it should not be at all like you're like how how has it happened Mm -hmm. that we have church ladies going about someone reading ephesians 5 (laughs) you have to be like hang on hang on i mean why are you coming on why are you here go away like go somewhere where I mean like what are you no, even there's doing? Probably like a Unitarian gardener's yeah, I club. Just, I just drove go by find I just drove by our local Methodist church that has a LGBT flag on its mm-hmm. reader board next to the subject yeah. of the sermon. Get thee somewhere that ignores the Bible <laughs> that much. Like but stop stop saying you're a Christian oh, if that's what you feel free to do. And I and I think that it's really important because because the Christian life is so much about about death to self and death and resurrection all the time. But the, it's the never thing that's just so death, sad. It's always resurrection. Right, that's but the but thing. people are so squeamish about that oh, yeah. that death. And yeah. that and in our squeamishness about asking anyone to do anything difficult or hard (laughs) or something that didn't appeal to them the first time they heard about it. It wasn't their dream to do what their husband asked them to do as regards something. So they're like, I, and, and I've known of amazing times where a husband asked for something mediocre. So no, something like maybe we could have stir fry sometime and that, that made that made a conflict offended woman huff off to complain about all kinds of oppression and the you know yeah. who does he think he is and 
<laughs> Anyways, my the reason I'm trying to say is those little deaths that may be about something like stir fry, right? They, it can be the pettiest thing in the world, which is, I think, how women talk themselves into thinking it doesn't matter whether or not they... You know, like, it can be a pretty sure. little issue. So they're like, well, I'd be dumb. I don't want to do it. All this I'm trying to say is that our obstinacy about getting into situations that that call for that means that we don't see how beautiful that particular resurrection right. is. So here's the thing. In my Brit Lit class, we've been just doing the romantic poets. So Percy Shelley, who is a stunning poet and a hideously evil man... Um, he has the line, his last line of Ode to the West Wind is, if winter comes, can spring be yeah. far behind. And the, the reason he's saying that is because he would like to burn down all of civilization. Right. He wants death universally and right. winter universally and scorched earth because only from the ashes could the phoenix rise. So we must have the ashes. Embrace the ashes. That's the only way to the phoenix. If winter comes, can spring be far behind? So bring on the winter, (laughs) which is exactly what it is. It's owed to the west wind, which is the autumn wind. And he's embracing that because it's the only way to spring, right? So that's one kind of Christless and godless resurrection idea. You know, like death and resurrection. Embrace the death. That's the only way to get to resurrection. I think American evangelicals have fallen off the other side of the horse. Mm-hmm. And we would like spring with never a winter. Yes. Like, we're one, we want to mm-hmm. live in this sort of like LA just perpetual a, just youth. Just a breezy collagen. I think just spray an, tans. Breezy warmth. No difficulty. Kind of emotional and sentimental goodwill sort of like kind of like spring always guys eternal youth yeah and, that's what we and want lots of great little hot tips from people like god loves you so he would never want something never. for you that would right bother you and the thing is is like and you, you wonder can, you wonder is, because you do not get the sense that when the apostle paul speaks of the christian life that's what he thinks no, is happening. No, because the thing is, is the death and resurrection ideal is a very Christian and very profound, like, cycle. Yeah. And I think that our winter and spring, our night and day, everything pictures the ultimate reality of death and resurrection. And mm-hmm. you have people like Shelley <clears throat> who want to remove Christ and then they want to embrace the death because that's the path to resurrection. But without Christ, the re- the There's death no resurrection takes you to hell. Yeah, you, you know, like you're it's not, actually the end. You're not coming up again in the spring. You're going to the eternal right. lake of fire. So, so that's one problem. But I feel like the squishy, soft, cowardly evangelicals right now want to remove winter completely yeah. and live in this balmy breeze all the time which actually and never I, die to themselves. I and don't know the quote as well as I should because it, I'm pretty sure though it comes from a Rutherford and it's just this great quote about about kind of like, well, but we we want to go to heaven in our beds. Like it was like kind <laughs> of like we want to be carried there cozy in our beds. Right. And he just has this great moment where he tears people apart saying about how but but for a Christian heaven is gained by it was all about like the freezing winds in your faces and the hard you know journey 
is that actually now that I'm bringing up all my lit classes I can't remember if this is in the Iliad or the Odyssey but I want to say it's the Iliad somebody um is talking about dying a coward's death and dying a coward's death is dying of old age or dying of sickness somewhere not on the battlefield where for anyone with any self-respect you die fighting that's how you know that you were a brave person Mm -hmm. and if you died away from the battlefield you died a coward's death and i think that we like there's there is a pagan nobility that understands life better than we do Mm -hmm. which is we should be ready and hoping to die with our boots on i need to tell you a little aside and then i want to come back to this because it's a good topic when you brought up shelly i just wanted you to know that lena says to me the other day i mean do you even like shelly I like Shelly. And I, I admit this, it. This was what I was like, well, I mean, he was a really good, he was really remarkably good. Like, I mean, you can't yeah. deny. And then it came out that Lena has a long harbored grievance against Shelly because one time the, the speech meet poem she had chosen wasn't long enough. And so she flipped one. A book of poetry and and picked a Shelley at random that was enough lines. And it probably so, said, I fall upon the thorns of life. No, I bleed. It was, it was no, it wasn't that one, but it was it was to Which a, is, no, it was funnier. She was like, it was to a skylark. And uh, then and then she takes off saying it. And we had this moment where I was like, But that's beautiful. And I think yeah. she's like I can't consider it because all I have is hatred in my heart for this moment. But it, because she started off, hail to thee, blithe spirit, bird thou never wert, that from heaven or near it pourest thy full heart in profuse strains of unmed- unmeditated, unpremeditated art. And I was like, yeah, that's real good. <laughs> She's like, perhaps. <laughs> well, anyways, he gets, I, I feel like when we it. get to... I fall upon the thorns of life. I bleed. I always snicker because I'm like, Shelly, you're a bit, you're a okay, bit okay. self-serious Okay, now. my kids, now they're totally going to laugh at me about this. Who's, ah, uh, who's the, um, Alfred Proof, uh, you know, T.S. Eliot. Tennyson? No, it's Eliot. Uh, oh, the, hold on, let's see. Alfred Proofrock. My children were, j- the love song of J. Alfred Proof rock. Okay. My kids have discovered that at least the opening, it's not just them, they and their friends at school apparently have been uh, singing it <laughs> to the tune of a song from Tangled. That oh is no! About, and it's actually quite funny about I will wear my white flannel trousers <laughs> and I will part my hair. Um, <laughs> Do I dare to eat a peach? They're like, do I dare to eat a peach? <laughs> it's about, I will part my hair behind. That's how it's that they were singing it. I will part my hair behind oh, no. something. Do I dare to eat a peach? Anyways, it's quite funny about wearing their white flannel trousers on the beach. <laughs> it's, oh, no. it's a blessing to have children. Oh. Doing things like good. that. Okay, but it I want to good. come back to what we were talking about, which is more important than my random my random poetry anecdotes. Okay. <laughs> what I was going to say is Christian women who don't like little deaths. And little deaths, 
are often seen as like, like women who resist this kind of thing, like to think that they would go oftentimes that they would go do glorious deaths. Yes. So they'd be totally be a full Joan of Arc. Get me on a mercy <laughs> ship and let me lay down my life for people without clean water. But if yeah. you ask me to please wash these socks before tomorrow, Oh my word. Bring in like, the what? Yeah, but what happens is that you have women who are like like imagine a uh gardening group. Like you start a big gardening group of women, but all that happens is everyone brings the seed packs. And then they pour them out and count them and talk about them and File. get really huffy about anyone who suggests they plant them. <laughs> Like, if you're going to plant that, you don't love yeah, me. Like, no. that is the most harsh thing. Like, you must not like no, my seed. I've been saving my seed. You don't like my sweet pea seed? Like, I've have you no heart? It. <laughs> it's the un- it's Eunice all over, have isn't you it? No have you no heart? And, and just anger that anybody would not value these things that much. Yeah, no, and, I've made and, a collection of them. I have a big old collection I alphabetize of them. them. I and have a seed filing box. Yes, and heaven forfend anyone should <laughs> ask me to plant these Plant somewhere. it in the dirt where yeah. I won't see it anymore. And then walk away from it. And, and it not won't get cold. Hover over it. It will break open. Yep. And shrivel be, up, become insignificant, and yeah, and low, low, something else will happen. What? <laughs> and but I think that that's what we have going on in the Christian world oh my word, is women who have lost their faith in what God does with our obedience, right? Like we've lost our idea of what those seeds are even for, yeah. but we think we're curating very faithfully like we know we're supposed to garden and we think that we can stop with just the seed collections and so we end up in just a ridiculous situation where christian women far and wide are being absolutely fruitless in their in their homes in their marriages in their they're just self-absorbed seed curators instead of and faithful gardeners and planters. And if you were to try to say it's fruitless, they would point to their collection of seeds mm-hmm. and say, how could you say such a thing? What is even wrong with you that you would say this? I think that whatever is happening in popular culture right now, it is becoming commonplace for women to not even consider planting seeds. No, and not consider telling other people to. Or to say things like, my husband and I have been married for three and a half years now. And we're considering sometime in the next two years, I'm thinking about planting a seed. Mm-hmm. Do you want to have any tips? I'm starting to, to really, recommend. I'm starting to research the idea of yeah. putting something in the soil Seriously, sometime. there's just a But really I think almost always people find it dangerous. Well, and that's the is thing the I meant thing. is that like there's a lot of things that I could think to put if, if we imagine that wedding ceremony that would be very sad. But there's a lot of things that I could think to put. You know, we've talked before in here and laughed about the Puritans and their wrong and their wrongful attributions of being uptight people. <laughs> and yeah. where that it was a common wedding vow in Puritan times to for the wife to promise to be bonny and buxom in bed. Did we go and check that? Yeah, I we think did. We turned out that No, we did. We did check it in and, and Did it turn it. out a real footnote? Mm-hmm. All right. Just checking. Um yes. No, but that was a that was a thing. Like that is 
a thing that used to be actually mentioned in the wedding vows. But if you think of so many things beyond that, what is it, what are we supposed to be willing to vow to do, right? To serve, to keep the home, like things like... And to be the fertile soil of the marriage. Exactly. That will grow more people in this group more people and and if more people if god allows and all kinds of other productivity other fruit all as, the fruit as it comes up like crazy abundant fruit in every direction you can imagine and that whole idea and you know um psalm 128 like a vine with fruit abounding in thy wife, thy house is fa- in thy in thy house. house thy, thy wife, wife is, is found. found. <laughs> and I, one of the things I love is that immediately goes on to say the children are like olive plants, which means that the children are not the only fruit on her yeah. vine. She is a wildly productive vine, mm-hmm. who makes more wildly productive. I know. Things. And I just went and cut some sprigs off of a vine the other day that I'm trying to root, and we'll see if it works. But it is so lovely and huge and ridiculous. And it's just taken over the whole back of this building. And it's gone around the sides. And it's lovely. And it has these enormous, huge seed pod clusters that are so beautiful. And every time I drive by it, I'm like, where did you get this? I want it. I texted the owner. And I was like, this is weird. But would you mind if I snipped off a few things and to see if I could root it? Which building is this? Because it's downtown. It's the... You know, Moscow Manor down the back. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's so nice. pretty. Yeah. But it's like, and I did text and I did ask permission, but it was, it is so lovely. And it's sitting there in my little vase. And I keep thinking maybe perhaps there's a little bit of a root, but I'm not positive yet. But either way, it is so amazing. And it's the sort of thing that from my little cutting, I hope. That it will become something like that. You know, like just mm-hmm. something that is ridiculously overpowering. And it can happen from the tiniest I just realized shoot. we're tying this all in really nicely with my confessions about my worm bin. Because one of the things that you just have to realize about to be abundantly fruitful and productive. One of the things that you cannot be afraid of is planting and little deaths you know like like the pruning things back well, what is dirt but a lot of death yes as i was saying it's like the the worms and the compost and the pruning things and cutting them back and digging things out and that, that work of being abundantly fruitful is not something that is for and like i think many people want to put their silk flower under a glass yeah. cloche That's and be thing. like look see I, I am a beautiful thing, flower. It's like, it, well, do you want to be out in the real sun and the real weight right. rain and the wind growing something yeah. real? Or do you want to just do this weird fake land? Yeah. And if your husband comes home sometime and is like, what do you think about maybe something that we could enjoy? <laughs> right? Like, how about maybe we could turn this into something more fun? And if that is seen <laughs> as a radical that smells offense, like something or tastes what if like it, something, what if you did something that was worth doing? Sometime? The thing is, is if you look at a real rose that is, you know, one of those incredibly scented, incredibly soft, amazing, the kind you just want mm-hmm. to stuff your face into, right, and keep it there, sort of. 
versus the little dollar store rows that if you stood it smells like dust yeah if you stood 50 yards away and squinted you might not be able to tell the difference but any other time you can obviously see it Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who would say i pick the artificial one because well because it's less work convenient less work somebody all the time somebody told me and and they'll say and you can't tell the difference did you see that did you see sometimes someone wrote a very i feel like it was a meme maybe it was i don't remember i just see it going around that somebody was had faithfully been watering and tending their succulent for like six months (laughs) and then they knocked it out of the window and the um little pot broke and it was styrofoam it was a fake it was a fake (laughs) succulent they thought that and and, that's really sad and and she was really feeling like she'd risen above to become a green thumb with this succulent that never (laughs) never changed and never grew and uh and but it strikes me that that little moment that has happened to many christian men who yeah. thought who thought they married yeah. a Christian woman who would partner with them in a life that would actually be alive, like in something yeah. that would go forward to bear some kind of fruit, and that whenever things come to a head in their marriage, they find out she's actually all, is just styrofoam. There's well, no there's no know, actual. I'm just pulling from every lit class now, but we're also finishing Pride and Prejudice, and there is this. This is just a side note, but I don't think that any film or stage adaptation can do justice to it because of all the little things in the narration that Jane Austen is wanting you to see that mm-hmm. you can't actually yeah. capture in the visual. But one of the things is I think one of the primary themes of that book is it opens with how on earth did Mr. and Mrs. Bennett end up together? Yes. Like that is the question that is immediately obvious yeah. in the first chapter is how did that happen? Yeah. Because he's a sharp guy and she is a complete ninny. And, and he has no, he has no respect for her. No, but also like, but he's a guy who sees people with accuracy. So what happened here? How did he marry her? Well, but the whole and book explores that because he does doesn't see, it. he doesn't see things with accuracy. Well, he does and he doesn't. He sees it. He just doesn't take action. Same with Elizabeth say, who prides herself who changed, on her smarts. Yeah. But the thing is, is it says, actually, I think we're, we're clearly given Mrs. Bennett is the old Lydia and yeah. Lydia is the young Mrs. Bennett. And you're supposed to see how this happened. And it says, there's one line that is amazing that I think every young man should frame on the wall. It's Uh like, he had been taken in by youth and beauty and the appearance of good humor, which youth and beauty generally give. And it's the appearance of good humor because she has no good humor at all. She's fussy and she's petty and she's self-absorbed. And he didn't see it because he was taken in by the youth and the beauty of it. Yeah. And that is the thing that I think that many men think they're getting good humor. And what they're getting is vivacious blonde, which what, is what not they're getting, the same But thing. what they're also getting is like untried. Like a person who's never been put in a situation. Like they just don't actually know their character at all. And I do want to say... I feel like every once in a while we need to say something like this. If you're listening to all this and you're like, my word, they're hard on women and they're not saying anything about how stupid modern men are. That's because we're not talking to the men. And it's also because we don't think it's our business to. If we, we did have a thing to say about the men, we could say a lot of things. The thing we want to say about the men in this context is 
They should have known better than to marry. They should have known better than to marry well, someone who wouldn't do that. But if they, if, if you think that you might be that styrofoam kind of, if you're like, oh my word, mm-hmm. maybe this is at the heart of my problem. If maybe I want to be a styrofoam succulent because that seems like a better option. Well, if it just seems like everything I care about is things being the same and being predictable and being easy and being looking good and not being a challenge, then you might see that in yourself. And the point is, is it doesn't matter even if you think maybe I got into this marriage foolishly and maybe my husband's not equipped to lead me in this way or whatever. Your walk with the Lord, you were responsible for. Like, so whatever the status of the marriage is, we're only talking to you. We're not talking, we're not addressing no. husbands. But that's not because we don't think that the husbands play a significant role in no, this. No, I think a lot of husbands just are getting exactly what they deserve, plus a little dollop of extra justice. But I do want to say that if if this sounds familiar to you at all, or you think, oh my goodness, am I... Am I afraid to plant? You know, am I too fearful to be a faithful Christian woman in my everyday life? I would just say, ask the Lord to give you a clear first step. Like, ask the Lord to give you something that you know is a seed in your hand. And instead of treasuring it, you plant it. And the other thing, I think, spend more time looking at God's creation than at your very highly curated Instagram feed because Uh, the thing is is that we prioritize very different things than God does as a culture and Mm -hmm. I think that when we like if you're the kind of person who can look at a fake wood grain and say but see that's much better than wood because it would stay the same all the time even though it's formica it won't chip you know or whatever if you can look at the fake rose and say See, I prefer that because it will always be there. And you could just vacuum it off. You, right. <laughs> chuck it in the wash. If you are the sort of person who prefers the fake to the real because the real comes with mud and it decays and the leaves fall off and then you have to clean it up, you should ask yourself, what does God prize more? Mm-hmm. And spend more time looking at what his art is. There was a time in my I life. I learned from it because the thing is the book of Proverbs is all about look at the ants. Mm-hmm. Look at this. Look at the other thing. Like study God's creation and yeah. then figure out what it says about the artist. Uh, there was a time in my life. It's been a while now. I'm realizing bringing this up how much I feel like wow. God really did break some things out of me. Like like <laughs> you're like it's not sure. that my life is not this way now. It's that I'm over this problem. Uh, but in my, or in the early phases of my mothering career, when they were, when it was like a whole lot of little people all at one time in my house, I, I think I just felt like a godlier way would be minimalism. Like a godlier way, a godlier way seemed to me to be a Zen garden, Mm -hmm. like a little something with no mess on it yeah. like a bonsai tree perhaps somewhere <laughs> delicately clipped <laughs> on but, a windswept but there can't be escape yeah but i my heart was like longing for something and this is this is funny because 
that's actually not stylistically that's not even what I would normally choose so I I know that it was a spiritual crisis of some kind it has to have been because the thing that I it's like a heart that pants for water when heated in yeah, the chase yeah <laughs> <laughs> and but what I'm saying is if I let my mind go to like what do I wish this was being like like mm-hmm. what was the thing I wanted kind of it was to make everything just could it just be clean and could it just be could we just not have this much carnage after we eat one meal at the table like I remember it was probably in the phase where I thought it seemed like a good idea to just have a drain on the floor under the table so that you could just like hose the dang thing off you know my children to have like little jumpsuits made of tarps yeah I could hose off just like we have to just what can we do? Car wash? I mean, like, how can we make it not like this? Was my That was my overarching feelings. And, but at that time, we were in this house. And in, when you were saying, look at the natural world. Yeah. And I think it was entirely God's good sense of humor. That this house that we were in was imitating our indoor life outdoors. Like, there was an apple tree out there that had not been pruned in way too long. Yeah. So it produced a great many apples way up high where nobody could reach them. And then they they all fell and rotted in one moment. So all at one time, you have 350 pounds of rotten apples and yellow jackets in the corner of the... and, And this is in one corner. Moving to the right, you run into the world's largest Bing cherry tree, which also produced endless, endless cherries deeply out of touch with where anybody could pick them. And then through cherries. Now, that's really something you can't pick up. All over, you know, just a huge amount of carnage there. And that would just smell like wine. And the kids would track in smears of cherry juice. Then there was a pear tree, also unpruned and way too tall. So the pears would fall down when they'd already started to rot on the inside. Yeah. That brewed up so many fruit flies for us that we cut it down. It was such a it was such a bleak pear tree situation. And then there was a plum tree in the backyard that that also made hay when the time came. <laughs> and then in the front yard, we had an enormous oak tree that hell, it was the kind that don't Rained drop their leaves down acorns. Yeah. So many acorns <laughs> that it, you just so many. And it was like this squirrel Mecca out there. So, and, oh, I, I missed one from the backyard. The black locust tree, which <laughs> dropped these, like, foot-long pods. black pods all over the yard. And the squirrels would shuck those on the back porch. Like, they would eat them. Like, it was like, it was like a squirrel the stadium. Stand. Yes, it was. Our, our back porch was, like, squirrels shucking pods and bringing acorns. And then in the front yard, this, this oak tree was the kind that don't drop their leaves until the new ones After, come in. Yeah. So it would be brown leaves all over the tree in the front yard. And then as soon as spring comes, brown leaves all over the <laughs> ground. And then there was one other kind of a tree that I now I can't remember what it was. It, it dropped those big hairy pods all over the driveway. And they were like crunchy 
I want to say it was... Uh, and then you start to sympathize with C.S. Lewis's uh, Philostrato who wants a metal tree. That yes. You can just well, but it actually... on a switch and the birds sing. And I think what I think what was so good about it to me was that all of those things are things that I knew I loved in theory. <laughs> right? I love an apple tree. Love a cherry tree. Love a pear tree, but we can't live like this, Luke. Like, I mean, I think, I think my feeling was like, we're going to die with a yard that is doing this to me. And it was inside and outside. And either way, I'm saying there was a lot of moral lesson in, (laughs) in God's creation for me, because you had to notice that God is not precious about like when things are fruitful it's mess. You know, like where no oxen are, the crib is clean. Yeah. But much strength is by the increase but the thing of the is, ox. is actually, you actually do need to tend those things. Or like you're saying, you'll have a ridiculous and useless pear tree. Yes. That you have to cut down. Because you, ha- you can have the blessing and you can have the productivity. But if it's not tended and it's not mm-hmm. taken care of. And it's like, if you aren't there being the master of the situation, it will go to seed and it will rot and it will be not mm-hmm. worth it. And it will get, and cut it, down. it will do nothing but farm you up some fruit flies. Right. But at the same time, my point in that is just that I, it confronted for me, it confronted the idea that God would be more pleased with a kind of barren sterility in, yeah, in a like nice artificial hedge. Right. Like yeah. wouldn't it have been better if we could just put up some Fake. Well, the truth is, he has all kinds of beauty. You know, I know, but in this particular way, God did not call. But fruitfulness never comes without mess. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Is that God did make all kinds of different beautiful landscapes and scenery. The Sahara and is a real kind of yeah, beauty. He did that, but, but it's also not the. Anything. It's not the. It's not what he means when he no. says your wife will be like a desert. That doesn't no. happen. No. She'll be like a desert with an occasional cactus, but it'll be scenic. But otherwise, only poisonous spiders. <laughs> Are the world's most deadly snakes. She'll be like that. Or or instead, when he says she'll be like a vine with fruit abounding, that is not the picture of some kind of windblown wilderness somewhere. It's a no. picture of a tended garden that's there yeah. to produce. And it. I think that's the key is the tended. It has to yes. be both tended and a garden. Like it has to not be yeah. a pretend garden, but it has to also be one that somebody cares about. And is paying attention to and is pruning it and is harvesting it and is got his, you know, got their eye on it. Totally. Because otherwise it just goes to rack and ruin and that's not good either. Yeah. We should move on to our tips. I have a tip. I have a tip. Do you? I'm so proud of myself. Mine's hefty bags. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) Mine is give your worm composter to a neighbor that will do a better job with it. (laughs) Okay. But no. Back on. Maybe if you know this already and you do this already, I'm going to struggle with some resentment. Okay. All right. This is a product that I have been aware existed probably almost my whole life, but have never gone to the trouble of grabbing hold of it with both hands and purchasing it and bringing it home. And when I did this week, Becca, I felt like everything turned around. The world needs to know. Does. Okay. There are upholstery tacks that are like a screw on the end. Okay. Like, so it's like, it, uh, it's like a corkscrew 
attack. It's like it, it's sort of like a tack with a grabbable top, like okay. just a push tack, but with a corkscrew pin okay. on the bottom. You can purchase these handy doodles. I got mine on Amazon, and then you can go around and screw them into your dust ruffle so that it never budges from the place that you put it. Rachel and I've been living a life. Where my dust mm. ruffle Squig is, changes its off. opinion yeah. about where it goes. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think I always thought this was a failure to make standard bedding sizes. Because you, like, get a yeah. you get a king dust ruffle. Why is it... Why does that fabric have to hang off six inches on both right. sides? So then you right. stuff it under the mattress or whatever, but it's yeah, going to come it out. Yeah, out. Yeah, and then it sags off the end, and then you accidentally yeah. step on it, and you make yeah. it all look like a big higgledy-piggledy problem. But I'm just telling you, you can buy these things, and apparently they're recommended for, like, slip covers and stuff. Like, any place where you want something to stay where it is, you just screw it in. Well, see, that's good to know, because I actually... You don't use those? I have somewhere in my house, like, a T-bar kind of a pin. Like, it's like a... Yeah, it's I know like a push about. pin, but with a T top. Yeah. And I know that I have a pack of those, and I was going to stuff those down into my box spring. No, you don't want those because those will pull out easily. I mean, I'd like... But under your box spring, it would really have to work its way to come out. But anyway, I was just saying, yeah. I, that's what I was going to do when I redid my bedding. But I couldn't find the box, and I couldn't bring myself to order more because I knew I had one already. I think they're called upholstery techs. Well, it's good to know. But... You Good could use them in a lot know. of situations because if you yeah. like there, it's just a grabbable top and you just screw it in. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. it is this little curly Q corkscrew yeah, of attack, smart. it just goes right in. See, I love this. I love this. As so guys, big tips. I bet mm-hmm. you have some saggy fabric somewhere in your I'm house. I'm back in the ugh, spring break is coming and I have to use that time to have a real surge and finish my bedroom because I over spring break I'm trying to get my curtains done and my I'm trying to do an upholstered headboard that's my next oh, wow. my next project for in there curtains headboard and while I have everything off maybe I'll throw some of those pins you in do. my dust ruffle get it I didn't even have it's to take my mattress I didn't yet. even have to take my mattress off to do it I just the thing is is like custom sort of like I made my dust ruffle to like fit my box spring so I'm hopeful that yeah, it's I well I mean it's stayed it's, put so far but I know what you're saying about the others because I think okay so I also bought a new dust ruffle which I really like because I wanted one that was not so floofy I wanted one that was heavier it's like quilted it's like Mm -hmm. it's a heavier one but the problem is it's made it's like not too it's not exactly the height that you want it and then Mm -hmm. and so this is what drove me that's why i did mine because i have my box spring on those bed risers so that i can fit stuff under the bed yeah because it's a small room and no dust ruffle is the right length for that yeah. Which is annoying. Well, that's my and big Dottie, tip, guys. Change your life with like, upholstery tips. I used to have that Matt Lise bedspread on there, and Dottie would come in and rub herself on it, on those little nubs, until she just rubbed all the fringe right off. That's why I had to, like, stop and, you know, like, we have to cope with this. Because she just comes in and runs back and forth on the <laughs> end of my bed. But the problem is she's gotten in the habit. So now, even now, it isn't actually a nubby bedspread at all. She still comes in and runs back and forth. And so she's kind of, I have a box pleat in the dust ruffle, and she's curling one edge you of know, it You know, you need to make, Dottie, you need to get her some kind of a little textured um, 
wall hanging for Maybe I can just stab a piece of carpet onto my malt wall. Yeah, with those yeah, yeah. You got the answers. All right, guys. Until next Everyone, time, go fun. go plant some seeds. Do it. Of all kinds. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.